Well, what's up? I hope everybody's had a fantastic week and you're having a great Memorial Day weekend. I do want to pause and say thank you to those who are in the military service, um, for those who have maybe had a friend or a loved one who have given their life uh, for our country. Thank you so much for the freedom that you provide. I really do think America is a great nation, and I believe one of the reasons we're a great nation is because we have great men and women who are willing to sacrifice their lives on a daily basis for our freedom. So happy Memorial Day for those of you that serve or have friends and family members that serve. And happy, just happy Sunday to everybody at Second Chance. We're wrapping up our series today called He's Up to Something. So if you've got a Bible, you want to go to Luke 5, that's where we're going to be. Next week, the service is actually going to be broadcast from Israel um, from several different locations. we got a couple different surprises for you. So next week, um, 11 o'clock, right here on this website or Facebook, wherever you're watching. Um, and then the week after, on June the 10th, we will start a series on spiritual warfare that will go all the way through about mid-July. Now, I've got some really cool information about the building. We've got a target date as to when we're going to be in there. And I'm going to tell you about it at the end of the message. And some of you are like, you're just doing that to get me to say locked in. You're absolutely right. And there's nothing you can do about it. All right. All right. I want to start out by asking you a question. And if you're by yourself, um, you can just answer out loud. If you're next to somebody, you can just have a little interaction. What was your favorite subject in school? Just tell the person next to you, favorite subject in school, favorite subject. Couldn't be lunch or recess, just favorite subject. Favorite subject, favorite subject. What was your favorite subject? Huh? Logan was English. Jan, what was your favorite subject? Art. Art, art professor, right? right. Uh, what was your favorite subject? Science. So, uh, medical doctor. So yeah, yeah, yeah. My favorite subject in school was, was history. Um, and I don't, I don't know why, but I've always been somebody that just loved history. I would read ahead in my history books, never studied for a history test, always made 100. Piece of cake, no problem. Now, here's the second question. You can talk about this too. What was your least favorite subject? And don't say history to be mean. Just what was your, yeah, I knew. We always have one. What, what was your least favorite subject? Least favorite, least favorite subject? English. That bothers me because Andrea and I were in English class together our senior year. So I probably had something to do with that. Zach, least favorite subject? Science. Least favorite subject? English. English. My least favorite subject was math. No. Yes. Now, now, hold on, hold on. Let me, let me talk about this for just a second. Let me tell you why my least favorite subject was math. Up until a certain point, math for me was really easy. I can do math in my head. I can do facts and figures in my head. I can do percentages in my head. I can do all that stuff in my head. I took accounting. I blew it away. Math, simple math for me is easy. But when they started putting words in my math, letters in my math, letters don't belong in math, right? That's why God gave us Microsoft Excel, so we don't have to do that crap anymore. So you started having, like, it's called algebra or geometry, and you had to start figuring out formulas, and there was like 17 steps to get the answer to the math problem. See, I hate that. So I've always tried to find new and innovative ways to do things. So I remember in the 10th grade, in the 10th grade, was an algebra, and we had, you know, he was teaching us this new algebra formula or whatever, and there were like 
eight or nine steps that you had to go through to solve the problem. It was really complex. Well, after studying it for a little while, I figured out how to solve the problem in three steps. I'm not making this up. And I got the same answer in three steps that all my friends had to go through eight steps to do. Every time I did it my way, simple formula, I got the answer. So, so we took a test and um, it was Mr. Cox's class. I don't know if you remember him. We took a test and I turned my test in like 30 minutes before all my friends. <laughs> the next day we got our test back and I made a 48. I remember that because it, it was one of the tests you had to get signed by your parents. I don't know if they do that anymore, but we used to have to do that. My father was thrilled. Um, and, but here's the problem. All the answers were right. All the answers were right. And so I've never really had a problem with confrontation. So after class, I went up to Mr. Cox and I was like, listen, I said, are these answers right? And he said, the answers are right, but you didn't go about it the right way. And I was like, well, I'm a little confused. Is, is the goal to get the right answer or is the goal to go through your incredibly complex process? And um, he was kind of uh, bothered by that a little bit, but at the end of the day, he was the teacher, and so he was right just because he was in authority. But, but I remember being so confused over the fact that I got it right, but I didn't go about it the right way. Now, keep that mindset in mind, and let's go back 2,000 years to the time of Jesus. If you wanted to be close to God, if you wanted things to be right with God, if you wanted to feel peace in your life towards God. There was a system, there, it was, and it was complicated. You had to bring certain kind of animals to the temple on certain days, and sometimes it was a pigeon, sometimes it was a goat, and sometimes it was a sheep, and sometimes it was a bull, and sometimes it was like a red heifer. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. Just read Leviticus, it'll blow your mind. And then there's certain feasts, and there's certain festivals, and sometimes you brought oil, and sometimes you brought grain, and it was a huge, complete, complex system, but people went through the system because they wanted to feel peace. They wanted to feel like they were connected with God. There was a pro process. But then Jesus shows up, and Jesus blew the religious system of the day completely apart. Everything that everybody was doing over here was a process, and Jesus showed up to show us that connection with God doesn't come through a process. It comes through a person. And sometimes we can do all of these things over here and go through the process and not feel connected at all because we don't have a connection to this person named Jesus. Now, remember last week where we left off. Jesus was at somebody's house. Whose house, was, whose house did Jesus go to last week? Anybody in here can remember? Matthew. Yeah, you can say it out loud. She whispered it because she was nervous. Um, Jesus went to Matthew's house. Matthew was a, does anybody remember what his occupation was? Tax collector. Okay, a little bit more confidence. He was a tax collector. Tax collectors were looked down upon. And remember, who showed up and started asking questions? Does anybody remember? Pharisees. The Pharisees showed up and started saying to the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? This does not make sense. And so Jesus answered, well, here's the thing. I've always read that story and thought that the Pharisees just went away. But they didn't go away. They stayed around. They kept asking more questions. In fact, this was the question that they asked. They said to him, so after Jesus answered the question, they came back at Jesus. They said to him, 
John's disciples often fast and pray. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. So right there, they're talking about themselves in third person like, like NBA players do, right? And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. Now, this is, this is crazy. They are taking a shot at Jesus and the followers of Jesus. They're like, hey, John's disciples follow the religious system. We follow the religious system. But you don't follow the religious system. And it's this thing It's so dangerous in the world called comparison. I first realized how dangerous comparison was when I was in the seventh grade and everybody that was cool had a members only jacket. Um, I don't, are they back in style? Were they back in style? I have no idea. Um, I didn't have a members only jacket. And then it was like the Reebok pumps. They, and, and if you had Reebok pumps, you could look down on people. They don't, today, if you have Reebok pumps, it's probably because you've been in prison for 20 years and it's the, with the, the shoes you took in there. Um, all through life, we compare. We compare ourselves on Instagram. We compare ourselves on Facebook. Comparison, comparison, and comparison is a dangerous trap to fall into. Now, when I first became a Christian, I don't know if you've experienced this before, but when I first became a Christian, um, which, by the way, 28 years ago today is when I gave my life to Christ. 28, I'm 28 years old in Christ, so I'm not quite 30 yet. Um, so when I prayed to receive Christ, I was a complete hellion, and the pendulum swung 180 to where I was completely legalistic. Now, for a season in my life, for a season in my life, um, I would not go to a rated R movie. So I missed Braveheart. I missed Gladiator. Um, uh, I missed uh, The Last Samurai. Um, don't, don't worry, I went back and made up for lost time. Um, I would not listen to secular music. Um, I, th there's just, uh, uh, Carly, no haunted houses. Halloween was an evil, wicked holiday from the devil, right? Um, I was that person. Now, let me be very clear, and let me be very clear. It's okay to have personal convictions. It's okay to have a personal conviction. If you've got a personal conviction that something shouldn't be done, and if you've got a personal conviction against a rated R movie or certain types of music, hey, that's awesome. The problem begins when we make our personal convictions on the same level of the precepts of God. And when we take our personal convictions and we try to force them on other people, then we become just like the people who ultimately killed Jesus. So it's okay to have personal convictions. Just don't force those convictions on other people. And here's what's crazy. Here's what's crazy about this particular verse real quick. When the Pharisees fasted and prayed, and John's disciples fasted and prayed, what was the ultimate reason for them fasting and praying? Here's the answer. To get close to God. And so they're asking Jesus, Jesus and his disciples, why aren't you fasting and praying? Do you see the irony? The disciples were closer to God. Jesus was God, is God than the Pharisees or the disciples of John had ever been. But because they were so addicted to their system, to their process, they couldn't recognize 
this person named Jesus. Now watch this. Jesus answers. I love this. Jesus answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. In other words, Jesus said, hey, listen, listen, listen. It's not time. They're not ready. Have, have you ever experienced, have you ever stepped into an experience that you weren't quite ready for? Or let me ask this. Have you ever eaten food that wasn't fully cooked? And never will forget, um, by the way, if I go out to eat with somebody, my, my food's going to be messed up. It doesn't matter. It's just, it's just I have, I, I, it just happens. And so I went to Fuddruckers one time. And um, got a chicken sandwich, which I know you shouldn't do that at Fuddruckers. You should get a burger, but I got a chicken sandwich because I was trying to be a little healthy. And you know, grilled chicken, and I go to the table, and all my friends got their burgers and their milkshakes and everything. They're done eating. My grilled chicken hadn't came out. So I came up, and I just asked God. I was like, you know, I got some grilled chicken. They're like, oh, sir, we'll cook it up real quick for you. By the way, they should never cook up grilled chicken real quick ever. And so they did. They cooked it up real quick. And I ate it real quick. And... After about an hour, other real quick things started happening inside my body because um, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. Sometimes when you ask people to do things that they're not ready for, it doesn't help them. It actually holds them back. And Jesus in this text is saying, hey, the time is not yet here for them to fast. And one of the things that I was reminded of when I was reading this particular text is when it comes to spiritual growth, we got to let people grow how they and Jesus want to grow. Because many times, if, let's say we've been a Christian for 10 years and somebody else meets Jesus and they've been a Christian for 10 days, we want them to be in 10 days where we are in 10 years, not understanding that spirituality cannot be microwaved at all. And so just because somebody else is not where we are in our walk with Jesus doesn't give us the right to look down on them. Because maybe Jesus hasn't led them to that step yet. And so he keeps walking, he keeps walking through this. And then he says this. Told them a parable. Now Jesus always tells a parable. I love it. He's always telling stories. He said, no one tears a piece out of a new garment. New being the key word in this, in this text. New garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old, which everybody in the room can agree with that. I mean, that's, just, that's not even a biblical thing. That's like, yeah, that's, that's true. That's right right there. And he says this, And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. Now, there's a lot of detail that I could go in right there, but none of you are interested in that. Just what he said was true. Just trust me. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No. New wine must be poured into new wineskins. The key word here is new. He keeps saying new. He keeps saying new. And this last verse, this last verse is a shot across their bow. Because he says this, And no one after drinking, the old, wine, drinking old wine wants the new. For they say the old is better. Here's the point. Jesus is saying, hey, you're drinking the old. You haven't even tried the new. The old was the process and the new was the person. And so when we're looking at this particular text right here, 
I believe that Jesus is, is, Jesus is emphasizing the fact that when he came, he came to start something brand new. My, my iPad just freaked out, but it's back up. Don't worry about it. It's all good. The, bam. All right. So, so, so with this in mind, with this in mind, with this in mind, I believe there are three values here at Second Chance that were really three main ideas, three core beliefs that we're going to rally our church around. And I don't believe these are just good ideas for the church. I believe these are good ideas for everybody in the church. And so I'm going to teach through these. This could be the determining factor because some people are like, when's your church building going to open up? When's your church building going to open up? When's your church building going to... This might determine whether or not you even want to show up when we open up. All right? Here we go. Number one, we will value conversation over condemnation. We will value conversation over condemnation. Now, I used to be, um, well, I mean, all of us are still hypercritical of some sort of people. Play. We, we, we just have that in us, and it's something we've got to constantly be on guard against. I remember the first time I actually had a conversation with somebody that I had a condemnation mentality now, let me kind of explain a little bit, set up some context. I was born in um, Los Angeles, but I moved back to uh, Easley, South Carolina when I was four years old. So in the South, in the mid-70s, if you were white, you did not see people of other colors, whether they were black or Hispanic or whatever, you didn't see them as equals. You just didn't. It's the way we were brought up. I'm not saying it was right. I'm just saying that was our thought process. It was our thought patterns. And so I moved to California um, in 1986 because my dad lost $20,000 to a a bookie one weekend. But that's a whole other message for a whole other time. It's a true story, though. So we left. It was great. And there I met um, a friend of mine, a black guy named Charlie. Now, Charlie was awesome. Charlie was cool. Charlie looked like Michael Jackson. He had like Jerry Curl or Soul Glow from like coming to America or whatever. And he was awesome, but Charlie was dating a white girl. And I had a problem with it. And, and I couldn't explain why. So one day, one day, I talked to my friend CJ about it. CJ, you can't tell CJ anything. He's, I don't know where he's at right now, but he told Charlie... And so Charlie approached me and said, I understand you have a problem with me dating a white girl. And I said, yes, I do. And, I was, and he said, why do you have a problem? I said, because it's not right. He said, why is it not right? I was like, well, it's just not right. And he said, do you have a few minutes to talk? And I was like, yeah, I got a few minutes to talk because he needed to understand how wrong he was, right? That was my mentality. And after an hour, we sat outside for an hour at a picnic table, I walked away with a different mindset. I walked away, I walked away, and here's the deal, I wasn't even a Christian yet. I walked away with a different mindset. See, before all I'd had toward people of another color was condemnation, but a conversation changed my mind. What would happen if we would actually sit down with the people we disagreed with the most and actually had a conversation. 
I remember in the 1980s, but by the way, I don't have a problem with anybody dating anybody right now. I, I really don't. Red, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world, right? That's purple, green, legalist or mean, all that other stuff. We can <laughs> make up a song. There we go. Um, th th take, take, for example, if you were around in the 1980s, you remember when the AIDS virus first came out? How freaked out people were? Like, they were afraid if you touched somebody, you would get AIDS. Do you know who the most condemning people were towards people with the AIDS virus? The church. In fact, you don't have to search very hard for this. There were actually Christian preachers teaching that AIDS was God's judgment on the homosexual community. I remember, and I wasn't even a Christian, going, oh my God, I don't think that's right. I think, I think that Jesus would have hung out with people with AIDS. And fortunately, after several years of stupidity, I believe the Christian church actually stepped into that and, and began making a difference um, and doing some good things. But I remember seeing that whole thing go down and going, I don't think that's the right approach. But it was easy for the church to condemn by the way, if God were going to judge people, I think he would judge a lot more people for gossip than he would AIDS. Just, <laughs> the churches don't preach on that. Um, uh, how about the LGBTQ community? I've had people tell me, you know, I can't stand gay people. I can't, I hate gay people. I hate trans people. I, I hate, I mean, here's my question. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody that identifies themselves as gay. No, I don't have to. Well, then you're not like Jesus. Because I think Jesus would have hung... Now listen, I'm not talking about personal convictions. I'm not talking about what the Bible says. I've got my personal convictions. I believe what Scripture says. I mean, I've got... I'm just talking about sitting down and having a conversation, not to try to convert them to your way of thinking, but actually to try to understand the world that they live in. Some of, some of my really great friends identify themselves as gay, and I'm okay with that. You know why? Because if you've got to believe just like me to be my friend, that makes me a shallow person. So at the end of the day, when it comes to people, period, I'm talking about people you don't like, Democrats, South Carolina fans, South Carolina fans that are Democrats. I don't know. I'm just, we are going to value having a conversation rather than just heaping condemnation. Number two, we will value maintaining the relationship over winning the argument. We will value maintaining the relationship over winning. Because you know what? You can be right and lose a relationship. In fact, I had a really good friend. I have a really good friend who's raised three amazing kids. I mean, they're all great kids. And usually if you have three, one's going to go crazy, right? At least one's going to go crazy. And so I asked him, I was like, what's the best parenting advice you could ever give? He said, value the relationship over winning the argument. He said, because you can be right and drive your kid away. I was like, man, that's good. That was really good. Anyway, that was just, that was free parenting advice. I've got, people ask me how to raise kids all the time. I'm like, I got a 10-year-old. She's good so far. I can get them to 10. After that, you're on your own, right? Um, 
But the problem, the problem I think a lot of times with the Christian community is we've taken the approach, we're right, you're wrong. We're right, you're wrong. And at the end of the day, I just want to be people that we're known that, you know what, we might think, I might not think you're right, you might not think I'm right, but we're still going to be able to have a relationship. Case in point, years ago, years ago, um, a guy who I would consider to be a friend named Rob Bell wrote a book called Love Wins. And it's, it's a book where basically Rob said he did not believe or he does not believe that there is a literal hell. And um, people freaked out about it. People freaked out. They denounced him as a heretic. And it was, it was kind of crazy. And then people began to ask me about it because they knew I had a little bit of a history with Rob. Like I, I, I went to Michigan one weekend when he pastored a church up there and I was going to get a hotel. And he was like, no, come crash at my house. So I stayed at his house for the weekend and jumped on the trampoline with him on a Sunday. That was kind of cool, jumping on the trampoline with Rob Bell. Um, and uh, so people were asking me about the book. And I was like, well, I hadn't read the book. So I can't make a comment about something that I hadn't read. So I had a flight from Atlanta to Los Angeles and um, just read the whole book on the flight, wrote down some notes, and people were like, have you read the book? And I was like, yeah, but I've got, I just got some questions about it. And so I had a, um, Rob, after all this, changed his number, which I would have too, but I had a mutual friend that reached out to Rob for me and said, hey, Perry, would like to, so Rob gave me a call one day. I asked him to give me a call. And I said, Rob, I said, I got some questions, man. Um, and I said, I don't want to argue. I said, I just have some serious questions about your book. Um, and so I asked him, we talked for about an hour. And after the conversation was over, we, it, it, have you ever heard this phrase? We're just going to agree to disagree. Because I do believe there really is a place called hell. I really do believe it does exist. Um, and, and Rob doesn't. But you know what? I still like the guy. I would still call him a friend. And some people would say, well, that's wrong. And I would say, you know what? You value being right over winning the relationship, which is why long-term you're going to have very few friends. Because instead of enjoying somebody's company, you're always going to be trying to fix them. And people don't want to hang out with people that always want to tell them what's wrong with their life. This is, this, this is, let me just get in on what Jesus said here. Jesus said this. Jesus said this in John 17. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through this message. I want to pause. If you want to know if Jesus has ever prayed for you, the answer is yes. It's right here in John 17. We can actually read, if you're a believer, what Jesus prayed for you. This is powerful. Look at what he prayed. He didn't pray that we'd be right. He didn't pray that we'd have humongous protest signs. He didn't pray that we would have big Bibles that we could hit people in the head with. No, no, no. Look at what he prayed for. Look at what he prayed for. Um, I lost my... Oh, there we are. I pray that they will all be one. Now, stop. We have already screwed that up. How many denominations exist? I was trying to do some research. Google doesn't even know. Couldn't even get it. When you can't get an answer on Google, thousands. Okay? So we've we kind of already screwed that up. I pray that they will all be one. 
just as you and I are one. Now, you can't get any tighter than Jesus and God, right? Jesus is like, God, how tight we are, that's how tight I want them to be. That's tight. Then he said, "Um, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us, watch this, so that the world will believe you sent me. You know why people have a hard time believing in Jesus? It's not because they don't believe the resurrection story, and it's not because they don't believe the Bible. One of the main reasons people don't believe in Christ is because Christians can't get along. I'm just reading scripture. He said, I have given them the glory you gave me, which is awesome that we've got that in us. So we've got that ability in us. So they may be one as we are one. He said it again. He repeats the prayer. He's repeating himself, which means it's important. Watch this, verse 23. I in them and you are in me. Watch this. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know you sent me. So so the world's going to know that we're sent by Jesus because of the way we love each other. Watch this, watch this, watch this. So the world will know you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Do you know why a lot of people in the world have a problem feeling loved by God? Here's the answer because of the way they've been treated by the people of God. You might be watching and you have wrestled with God loving you and it has nothing to do with the scripture. It has everything to do with how how the church treated your divorced mother or your gay brother. It's really difficult to believe you're loved by God When the people of God are some of the most hateful people that you encounter. So at the end of the day, at the end of the day, is there a right and is there a wrong? Yep. Can you have personal convictions? Yep. But I'm going to value, we're going to value the relationship over winning the argument. Because I think it says, wait, just, just think about the apostles of Jesus, who he had at the table. Completely, this isn't even in my notes, but I just kind of walk through this because it just hit me. Completely different political ideologies. You had Simon the Zealot. Zealots were people that would would just kill Romans. That that, that was their hobby. What are you going to do today? Kill a Roman. They could not stand Romans. And you know who also a zealot could not stand? Tax collectors. So you had Simon the Zealot and Matthew, who was a tax collector, sitting at the same table, and the one thing they had in common was what? Their relationship with Jesus. Just, that was, that was absolutely free right there. I just, that just hit me. Number, number three, number three, we will value honesty over hypocrisy. We will value honesty over hypocrisy. Now, I want to pause real quick. I've had a lot of people tell me that Christians are hypocritical. And I'm going to say you're right. But I'm also going to tell you that the reason a lot of times Christians are hypocritical is because if we got real, we're afraid we'd get kicked out. I remember um, I used to love to play backyard football 
tackle backyard football. Never played touch. I always loved to play tackle. And um, I was playing one day. It was a Sunday afternoon, and they had this guy on me, and I just I had him beat. So I told the guy, I was like, man, just throw it up. I'm going to go get it. I'm tall, so I could, you know. So he throws the ball, and um, it's really high in the air. I was like, man, I'm going to have to kick it to get this. Now, here's the problem. I've never been able to kick it. I don't have the kick it gear. I don't, I, I'm not fast. And so when I did, I heard something pop. I didn't know what it was. I just knew I was on the ground. It literally, something popped, I was on the ground, and I got up and I couldn't walk because my hamstring had, like I had blown my hamstring. And I couldn't walk and I had to sit down. Now, here's the deal. The next day, I, played in, I was playing in a three-on-three basketball tournament, and I had to play in the tournament. So the next day I got up, and my sweet mate was a trainer for the staff at Anderson College where I went at the time. And uh, he was like, I don't think you need to play. I was like, I'm fine. Wrap it up. And so he was like, Perry, your, your leg, like the back of my leg, it looked like a, 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 just a bag of Skittles. It was all sorts of different colors. He's like, dude, you're not going to. I was like, no, 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 I got it. If we cut, because this, this was my thought. If we cover it up, it's not real. So we wrapped my leg in that three, and I went and played in that three-on-three basketball tournament. I would love to be able to tell you that I dominated. It was the worst game I've ever. I couldn't have thrown the ball in the ocean if I was standing on a pier. Everybody was going around me. It was awful. But I was pretending that I was okay, even though I was hurt. And I believe there's a lot of people in churches today, and the reason we're pretending we're okay is we're so scared is somebody really knew who we were that would get excommunicated. And that's not, that's not how we're going to be. I'll give you an example, and I won't use real names here. Um, but about three weeks ago, after a Sunday message, I got a text message from a friend, and she said, can, can you give me a call? And I was, I was in the middle of something. I was wrapping up a few things. So I was finally able to give her a call. And when I gave her a call, she I said, hey, you know, how you doing? We'll, we'll call her Jennifer. It's not her name, but I'll call her Jennifer. I said, hey, Jennifer, how you doing? And her first words out of her mouth was, Perry, I'm pregnant. Now, she's not married. And she was, she was, she was crying. She was, in a, she was in a bad place. And I remember I, I just said, okay, okay, Jennifer. What do you want to do? What's your next step? And she said, well, I... I want to keep the baby. I was like, well, that's, that's good. That's good. I said, what else? What, what, what do you think your next step is? And we actually began to have a conversation. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, old school, old school legalistic Perry would have given seven reasons that sexual sin will rob you of the joy of God. And then we'd had the lecture about you're not married. And so why were you doing this and all this other stuff? But you know what I've discovered? When somebody actually gets the courage to confess something out loud, God's already dealt with them. We're supposed to be there to walk them through the process. So I remember the next day I came in and to the office with a team I worked with, and we were kind of talking about this situation. I said, you know, when we meet as a church, when we're physically meeting in a location, you know, a lot of times in a church, if the single girl winds up getting pregnant, you get kicked off the team. Let, let's, say, let's say that Jennifer's serving on the greeting team. She gets kicked off the team and she can't serve because she obviously messed up. That's not how we're going to do things. We, we would have 
met with, let's say she's a greeter at the 915 service. Either myself or the team leader would have walked into the 915 service and said, hey, before we start today, just want to let everybody know um, Jennifer's pregnant and none of us are going to talk crap about her. We're going to walk with her through this process so that when she gets to the end of it, there's not a doubt in her mind that Jesus loves her. That's the kind of church we're going to... Are we, are, aren't you given permission to sin? Let, well, let's just be honest. If you confess your crap from this week, but I, we all need that. And so at the end of the day, I just want to create an environment where somebody can go, this is what I'm wrestling with, and somebody can go, hey, I want to help you walk through that situation, no matter how messy it is, because I believe that's the kind of church that Jesus is calling us to be. So I'll just ask you this question. Conversation over condemnation. Relationship over winning the argument. Honesty over hypocrisy. Which one do you struggle with the most? Like, like for me, I mean, there's seasons in my life where I think I struggle with kind of like all three. But, but the area you struggle with the most, I'm telling you, that's the area where Jesus is like, that's where I want to do the biggest work in your life. Because I'm telling you, when we learn to talk to people rather than look down on them, when we learn to have a relationship with them rather than winning the argument with them, when we create an environment, listen, healing can't ever take place if we don't create an environment where this can take place. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's not about the process that we go through. It's about, about connecting to the person of Jesus. And if we're connected to Jesus, what was his prayer? That we would all be one as he and God are one. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you made it so clear in the scriptures what your heart is for us. And I pray, Jesus, right now that we would really take an evaluation of where we are. Jesus, that we would, we would seriously wrestle with, with whichever one we wrestle with the most. And Father, ultimately, that we would be a church full of imperfect people that know it but worship a perfect God. People willing to take steps forward in your time. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I don't know which one you struggle with the most, but whichever one that is, why don't you just talk to the Lord right now about it and ask Him to help you in that area. Maybe you're watching today and you've never ever, ever trusted the person Jesus in your life. You've never given your life to Jesus. You've always thought it was a process. you got to do good, do more, work harder, try, 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 try. And today, I want you to know it's all about meeting Jesus, asking Him to come into your life. That's the first step to an abundant life that will blow your mind. So if you're watching today and you want to give your life to Jesus... I want to invite you to ask him into your life right where you're, you're sitting right now, whether you're in the room, whether you're watching online, whether you're listening on the podcast or watching on YouTube. You can just pray in your heart right now 
Jesus Christ, come into my life and take over. I give everything to you. Show me how to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray. We have still bowed and I still closed. If you just prayed to receive Christ, you could raise your hand online. You can hit the hand raise button. If you're watching on Facebook, you can do the hand raise emoji so we can celebrate with you the fact that you prayed to receive Christ. We always love to celebrate um, people meeting Jesus. It never gets old. It's never a bad thing. You just put that hand up. And if there's any way that we can pray for you this week, any way we can pray for you this week, shoot us an email. Um, at hello at perrynoble.com. Hello at perrynoble.com. Jesus, thank you so much for everything you're doing and everything you're going to do. We ask this in your name. Amen. Hey, just to let you know before you sign off, we did um, meet with some builders this week. We, we, and listen, listen, we've got a builder. we got people doing it because we've had people volunteer to paint and demolish. And listen, if anybody's going to do any demolition, it's going to be me. I would love to do that. But we're going to pay some people to do that too. So we got everything set up right now. As of right now, it looks like because of some work that has to be done and you, you got to go through the permitting process, which anytime you get the government involved, hello. So, so we got to go through the permitting process. So it looks like it's going to be about mid-September when we're able to get into the building. So we'll be able to meet together um, like in person sometime mid-September. Now, I'll be telling you more about um, what it's going to take to do that. For those of you, by the way, that give the second chance every week, thank you. Because you're giving, we're actually able to begin to have these meetings and get some of this process started already. So for those of you that are giving, thank you so much for giving. It's already making a huge difference. I'm going to have more details and more specific details in two weeks. Next week's from Israel. The following week, we start spiritual warfare. Hope you have a fantastic week. The best really is yet to come.